Hey, everybody. Welcome to Defy. This is a podcast about stories because everyone has a story to tell. We're all about sharing stories of women and non-binary individuals and how they have defined the odds, persevered through incredible circumstances, and transformed their lives. Is this a show about perfection? No, because it doesn't exist. Is this a show full of empty self-help quotes for you to put on your Instagram? No, that is not our style. This is a show about breaking the rules, creating your own path, and being your true self. Because remember, well-behaved women rarely make history. Non-binary folks excel at breaking models. So come on, let's get out there and defy. Welcome to Defy. I'm Sarah Troutman, and I'm super stoked to have one of my friends, the fab Warner Leland, here today. What up, Warner? Hi. Hey. I don't even know how to answer <laughs> that. It's been, yeah, busy, oh great, God. wonderful. It's finally warm here, and <gasps> I'm feeling oh. so good. Okay, but let's, okay, first, but there's a contextual let's be contextual about the warmth here because i feel like you are likely overstating that i'm in phoenix arizona so to me warm earlier this week it was 85 and i was Mm -hmm. loving every degree of that but you are in chicago so what is warm how do you define warm to you it's 45 today (laughs) (laughs) dude that's not warm (laughs) in comparison to what it's been oh Okay. That's true. Because people don't understand like Chicago. This is what people don't get about the Midwest. Because my whole family is from the Midwest. I was born in Michigan. Chicago is on Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan is like an ocean. And when it is windy, hence the name the Windy City and the wind coming off of Lake Michigan, that is bone chilling. Bone chilling. Yeah. Terrible. So 45 feels amazing. I got called Sir today. For like the oh. first time in a long time, that's always a delight to me. Yeah. Um, like that's a cute and wonderful thing that I love. It next to never happens. But it's like, oh, haha, okay. Cute. You're like, you just served um, me. Thank you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I don't know. I've had a cute day. Cute well, day. I'm so glad. Okay. So let me first, let's start this out by just providing a little context about how we know each other. You're a behavior analyst. I'm a behavior analyst. We kind of got to know each other a little bit. Last year when you were an invited speaker at a conference that, of course, never occurred in person. It was supposed to be in Boston in April. We all know what happened. We don't need to get into those details. But when I was starting Defy Community with Carol, you were like the first person I reached out to when we were like, hey, we really want to include non-binary individuals in this community. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, this isn't like I, I, you know, am I like a cisgender woman? Like this is how I identify, but I want to make sure that we can include space for other, you know, folks that experience gender discrimination. And I was just like, 
help. (laughs) And, and so you were, you know, so gracious to me and obviously, you know, through your work with um, Upswing Advocates, you in August Stockwell, and we'll talk about them later in the podcast. Um, But I just, I wanted to just own the fact that I don't, I still don't know that we're like doing this in the best way possible as a community. I think we are, are learning and trying and what I'm hoping, I'm hoping this episode today can be is frankly, on a, you know, selfish note for me, like a continuance of my education, but also hopefully for other people that are listening to it, an opportunity for them to educate themselves and to just have a a greater understanding of something that I think a lot of people care about, but they like are so terrified of making, like saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing that it's almost like then I'm doing nothing. And like, that can feel pretty shitty too. Um, So I'm hoping that the the context of this conversation is like, let's kind of explore, you know, gender expression. Let's, let's talk about, you know, some things in, in your personal story and also be clear, like your story is just simply your story. It is not the story of all persons that are, you know, gender nonconforming or, or non-binary. It's just, it's you. And so mm-hmm. we don't want to like paint any like broad strokes per se, but at least create some understanding of you because um, you're fucking fabulous. Uh, and hopefully by doing that and, you know, having talking a little bit more in terms of like, what are kind of strategies that other folks can, can use when trying to create more, you know, inclusion and space for different types of of persons. Um, and like, I'm anxious about this conversation too, cause I don't want to say anything, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm feeling the fear and I'm doing it anyways. So let's do some exposure therapy. And also just because (laughs) it's like really important to me, you know, and you have just like, you're just so warm and easy to talk to. So I like to hang out with you anytime anyways. <laughs> I just, I appreciate that about you so much. And like, I appreciate that. Like, first of all, you proactively reach out because we don't know each other super well. We've like known each other in passing and in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you reached out and cared and we're like, I'm probably messing this up. And also, you know, I would like to change that. And uh, it's rare that people will do that. Like, I don't know if you know that, but that's like, that in and of itself is like really tender and really meaningful to me. So I was like, oh my goodness, who is this lovely human? And then you implement feedback so quickly. Um, and that's really like, I don't know. I know a lot of people have a wide variety of feelings and a lot of stuff that, you know, hurts because it can be painful to interact with a world that doesn't really get you um, day in and day out. But for me, it's like, those are my key things. I'm like, are you caring? Are you implementing feedback? We're going to get to a good place. You're like, I can um, work with that. Yeah. I you. Always. Yeah. And- just let me just like frame this conversation a little bit. Uh, Cause you know, I, I talked to you when we did our prep call, I have a friend, Lorraine Williams that, and also a friend from um, undergrad, Eddie Mraz that both work for plume, um, which is this like innovative telehealth company that was founded by uh, their chief medical officer. Um, is it a trans person themselves? Uh, they have tremendous like medical representation and they do um, gender confirming hormone therapy through tele. Uh, telehealth, uh, because know, yeah. it is like horrifying um, the lack of uh, healthcare that trans individuals can receive, all dependent on the state that you live in. That's the good old mm-hmm. United States. Uh, so if you live in California, your experience is going to be radically different than if you live in Texas and if you live in Alabama or New York. But there are some, you know, really, I think, good statistics to frame this conversation. There are over 1.4 million adults in the United States that identify um, as transgender. And, you know, what Plume was uh, talked about is there are a third of these individuals avoid seeking health care out of fear of discrimination. Oh, yeah. Many also lack access to appropriate clinics 
since the few doctors who are trained in hormone replacement therapy are often centralized in major cities with massive waiting lists. Um, for many trans people that enter a doctor's office, more than 20% are denied care or harassed. And this leaves the majority of transgender people buying testosterone, estrogen, and testosterone blockers from disreputable sources overseas or off the streets, which is dangerous. Yeah. Um, and so that part of Plume is trying to come into this market, and they're not the only kind of healthcare startup that are doing that to address this problem. And I just, again, wanted to kind of cite these statistics just to kind of frame the fragility of the trans population, but also that it's like, there's lots of folks, y'all. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And chances yeah. are there's someone in your environment that identifies as trans or, or gender non-binary. So like, let's talk about it and create some space for each other because we're all just humans mm-hmm. and everyone deserves to live the life that they want. Everybody. Right. The yeah. Right. So yeah. I want to first start um, by talking about, you know, in our conversation earlier, you said that when you were younger that you thought like, everybody was faking it <laughs> regarding yeah. their, their gender expression. Like, what does that mean? Well, why do you, and not so why much their gender expression, it? but their gender identities. Gender, okay. So, yeah. So these are like, these are slightly separate concepts. So the idea of gender identity would be like inherently who you are. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. have a sense of being a gender. Like I am yeah. a woman or I'm a man. Like you feel fairly confident in that. And you could yeah. change like the way you dressed um, or your haircut or if you were doing makeup or not, or even like your muscle mass and all of these things about yourself. And it wouldn't necessarily change that about you. Um, yeah. yeah. Gender expression is a lot more like how you present in gendered okay. roles to the world. Yeah. So like gender expression always made sense to me. I'm right. I'm like, there are these feminine things and there are these masculine mm-hmm. things. Um, but gender, I bet that was like, as far as I understood that it went, um, I identify as a gender, which just means no gender or no experience mm-hmm. of gender. Um, yeah. And I've never really had one, like the idea that the, all of those things like also speak to some sort of an identity to folks um, and to a, a lot of folks is baffling to me and always has mm-hmm. been. Um, and I always felt like uh, I was trying really hard to like fit into the gender expression roles that were like least, least likely to get me punished and, you know, mm-hmm. most likely to reduce bullying and reduce people looking at me and all of the things. Um, and yeah, totally just assumes that everybody else was doing the same thing. Had no concept that uh, folks like had had these internal experiences. Um, yeah, so that was something that I, I was much older when I realized. And yeah. it's like kind of cool, but also like still to this day, kind of hard to wrap my head around to some degree. Yeah, because you're just like, yeah. this is just like so not my own experience. Yeah. Don't get it. But you grew up in a conservative conservative religious household in, in St. Louis. I and so how did that impact the way that you thought that you needed to express your your gender and the life choices that you thought that you needed to make? Sure. I mean, just in every way. And like, so to a degree, I think like the religious stuff did, but like the mis- Midwesternness of it all um, mm-hmm. in the like 80s, 90s uh, mm-hmm. is like, that's just such a, a gendered space to be in. And um, like roles and expectations were like such a thing. Um, and then to have like really, um, I guess, curated religious experiences on top of that. Like, so my behavior aligning with religious norms being very important uh, to my family um uh resulted in a lot of situations where i just like i did not have contact with folks that were outside of our church we didn't really have friends 
that, you know, we're not fed of our church. We went to a religious school. Um, we had uniforms. So it was like a very big deal when I was finally allowed to wear the boys uniform. And like, that was mm-hmm. a thing in general. Um, although I still mostly wore, you know, like the plaid skirt and the, you know, whatever, uh, the blouse with the collar and all, you know, all the stuff. Um, yeah. And so it was, it was really a lot of that. And it was a lot of being bad at that. You know, so like I was, I was like very bullied by everyone in that environment, um, like peers wise. And um, yeah, it was just an environment that like didn't really know what to do with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember I very much like identified as an artist. If I identified it as anything, I'm just like, I'm an artist. It's whatever, you know, uh, I'll, I'll go wherever I go and do whatever I do and it'll be creative and you won't understand it. And that's fine. Um, and I think that like that gave folks some context for me and like a little leeway to some degree, but also it was like, it was a lot of, you know, really rigid expectations to a, a degree. So yeah, I, yeah, d- did my best to, uh, to like really minimize myself, um, the older that I got and to try mm-hmm. and take up less space, um, you know, to become less detectable as like weird or whatever mm-hmm. people wanted to identify it as. Yeah. Cause you, you got in, did you get engaged right outside of high school? Right when you finished high school? Um, I think I was in high school. No, it would have been, it would have been right outside of high school. I okay. think. I can't remember honestly. Yeah. But like had done that, went to seminary for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that was yeah. like blowing my mind when you told me that. Oh, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and like, you know, it was, it was just trying to do my best and trying to do what I thought I should and, uh, you know, uh, trying to align myself with the people in my environment that were like the kindest people that I knew, even though like it didn't really fit. Um, yeah, yeah, wild, wild experience. Um, and it was, it was stepping away from some of that and like finally having some space that allowed me to even start to come into contact with people that would have any sort of language for any of these mm-hmm. things. Like any sort of queer issues were not talked about um, uh, growing up at all. Um, like the faintest, faintest contact with the concept that like that even existed. Um, yeah. And and then like nothing in terms of gender identity at all. Nothing. Um, yeah. And so you like, said that you didn't like meet... And a, a person, a trans person until you were 20 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And this no is like, contact. and how did, the, what did, the, what was that like for you to be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> hey. I mean, so like, first it was really tender. I was just like, oh, of course, that's so beautiful. Like, yes. How yeah. can I support you? What can I, oh, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do all the things. It was very lovely. We would go clothing shopping and we would do a lot of clothing swapping and it was just, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, yes, you know, of course this makes sense. Um, but it wasn't really until getting into some like, deep conversations uh with that lovely human that i was like oh because they were a, a binary trans person so somebody okay. that identifies with the gender that's the opposite of one that they were assigned at birth yeah and i was like oh like this is really real for you like you have a real and actual gender identity and it's not the one that you were assigned like i didn't even know that that could be a thing a but b it also makes it make so much more sense that every like all of these cisgender people also have a gender identity i guess huh like mm-hmm. they're not thinking that's a real thing wild and my mind was just really blown on sort of both sides of yeah. the cisgender transgender spectrum where i was just like okay um that's like some really 
cool context to have for something that I've never experienced before. Um, but that it wasn't even until like many years after that, that somebody was like, and also, you know, there's like language for what your experience is too, right? And there are like folks yeah. that have had similar experiences to you. And I started to get connected with more community. Um, and you're like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah. well, and, and can I, I mean, like, and again, like this terrifies me, but I'm just like, I, I want to ask a question just because I want to have better understanding. Would you, if you are a person that identifies as, as agender, and I'm thinking, you know, it's like there's this cornucopia of, of gender and, you know, identity where if there is a cornucopia or a spectrum or however you want to kind of like conceptualize it and you have some folks that are cisgender or some folks that might identify as, as transgender or non-binary, like how does, where does the agender piece like fit? I'm trying to just kind of, where does that fit into the context of gender or does it sit outside of it? Like yeah. if it's, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And different people are going to have different opinions on that and like how they use okay. the term. But like for me, it very yeah. much feels like outside of all of that. So like none of that okay. resonates with me. Um, I think in terms of like expression, to some degree, like a lack of binary and expression, but also like, I think that like feminine expression is really cute and really fun. And yeah. I like, like, like take a dress up and do makeup and like all of that adorable. And I think masculine expression is really fun. And I like to wear suits and I like to wear like wingtip shoes, you know, just like cute. Um, all of it feels really cute to me. Um, so I feel like I can be like, anywhere on any given day all over sort of like the gen- gender expression side of things okay okay on this on this I guess if you could even consider it a continuum but yeah in terms of like actually having an internal sense of identity I don't I don't have anything that feels in any way tied to that yeah. whether it be yeah like masculine feminine not binary any of it so it's yeah it's just it's like really fascinating that there are so many different people who have just like really vastly different experiences of that I don't know I like it I think it's cool I do too. And I, you know, and just sidebar, because I, I have another question I think is going to be really important, uh-huh. but just like, thinking about it, I, I also think like for humans sometimes, I mean, obviously because we have so many different like stimuli in our environment and things that we're t- thinking about, we often like to put people into categories because it just is like the easiest thing for our brain to process. And it's like our lazy way of thinking, right? Like, oh, sure. I just do this. So you're here. And then this person is here. And then that's, let me silo this. And then it makes sense to me. And then I can, you know, integrate kind of more information into, you know, um, when my frontal lobe and just kind of organize things or whatever. And I think that this is, I think this is where sometimes like people get stuck on the gender identity or gender expression, which clearly as you've, you know, operationally defined are, are different things mm-hmm. is just like, Hey, this is, you know, it is like a super fluid situation. And so I think for some folks, it's hard to figure like, how do you keep up with the fluidity and honoring who, you know, who people living their authentic likes and lives and being, who, you know, you can be whoever you want to be like, yeah, like, duh, like you get to be whoever you want to be. <laughs> and then we, and I think it's upon all of us other people in the world to be able to, you know, be clear, like, who are you? And like, I'm going to, yes. And I recognize you and I, you know, I'm going to use the pronouns that you, you want and what other things that honor your identity. But I think for some people where they get lost is just like, it feels like it's like, changing so much um and so how where do you think you know and and we talked about this you're like dude use google like answer some (laughs) questions don't put this all on like other people all the time for god's sake like i'm exhausted which is another thing we're gonna talk about a little bit um but i what i would just more want to encourage people is to think that in a lot of different kind of like species there is this fluidity and there's so much nuance to gender identity especially and how can we help 
like stupid humans <laughs> be able to think outside <laughs> of just like it's you know it's a man or a woman um and yeah and that this is this is con- likely going to continually change as people feel more into this and are allowed space to really embody themselves and like where like where are the parameters of that and perhaps there aren't yeah. any well, so like I think a really valuable thing to keep in mind is that all of this is constructed. Um, you know, these are societal constructs and this like long learning history that we have with these two binary categories um, is actually like fairly new. Um, and it's definitely an artifact of whiteness and of colonization. Um, so like I, I'll have to send you like show not links, um, but PBS Independent Lens has a great interactive map that's taking a look at some of the um, different cultures across space and across time that have really variable gender concepts um, yeah. throughout um, just their communities. And um, they're all idiosyncratic, right? And so what's culturally important in terms of gender and how that manifests is like really, really different from culture to culture. And those norms are different to cult- from culture to culture. And then, of course, I'm sure there are folks in all cultures that fall outside of like whatever those prescribed things are. Um, but the fact that like we have this sort of like two prescribed boxes um, isn't it like it doesn't track with any sort of data. So, mm-hmm. so like none of this is new. I know it feels like it's changing, but binary gender just had a really strong marketing team for a long time. You know, like <laughs> truly, that's what it is, though. Honestly, you yes. know, no, um, no, you're right. It's cultural contingencies, and it's like cornering yep. of the market of media. Um, so mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, I think as like as we get more access to coming into contact with actual data and like people's lived experience, that it's going to probably feel like a pretty rapid change if you haven't had mm-hmm. access to that before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just like, I invite folks to be gentle with themselves about that to know that this is like something foisted upon you um, mm. conceptually and uh, yeah. through, through like the education systems, you know, and beyond. Um, and to consider the fact that like none of this really is new, it's just probably new to, to you and that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and just to, you know, to the best you can, like try and give yourself some grace, but also the, lean into a little bit of flexibility uh, with those concepts and, mm-hmm. you know, see where you can make space for not having to have that information. Yeah. Because for the most part, it doesn't like really impact folks. Like, so if I assume that you're a woman, like, what does that even mean? Who cares? Um, what is yeah. that? What, am I, what can I assume about you based on that? Yeah. You know, ditto if you're a man, ditto if you're non-binary. Um, I like a lot of me feels like this is part of it is comes from a place of folks wanting to feel close to one another or, you know, some sort of stimulus control, right? Like I know this thing about you and I can put you in, into some sort of categorization, but then also I have a closeness to you. We already have the shared information and the shared rapport. Um, but then it's not always necessarily based on any sort of truth if we're just going on, you know, like what people look like and the things that we're assuming about them. So, I mean, I think, I think letting go of those assumptions is a big thing and really like trying to build genuine connection with folks Mm -hmm. for who they are um, and to be willing to be uncomfortable when you don't have that information while you're, you know, Mm -hmm. still building those relationships, Um, like being okay with that, being a place you're in. Yeah. Let's talk about the impact that poverty has had on your life because that's a, I think a big, it's important to your personal narrative, but I think it's also, um, part of a larger narrative for, you know, a lot of folks that don't fit into those two boxes. There is like mm-hmm. a lot of data to support um, how challenging it can be. Um, but I want to talk just about your experience first. 
Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And it's so interesting. And it even feels like interesting to use that terminology um, because uh, like I grew up very poor and then my family, uh, like for lack of better terms, uh, like their wealth increased to like a more middle class status over time. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, they're like pretty well off. Their life is nice. They have a nice house. It's cute. Um, And also I spent so much of my life after I started having language for like my sexuality, which I know is like not the core of what we're talking about, but honestly felt like bigger and harder to have conversations around with my family or feel like I wouldn't, you know, be completely uh, thrown out, which they didn't. Thank goodness. I, mm-hmm. The connection that we have um, is, uh, I mean, we can talk about that a bit more later. Uh, it's it's really lovely. Like I love and value them, um, even if, you know, we don't necessarily talk a lot about uh, any of these things. Um, yeah, but um, I think I really did have a lot of fear of um, being too close to them or like letting them see who I was. And so I really distanced myself from them. I worked a lot of minimum wage jobs. And, uh, you know, just like did not have access to a whole lot of funding. Minimum wage in this country is crap. You can't live on that. That's like poverty wages. Uh, and it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And also that's like where a lot of folks are if you don't have a support system or if you have a lot of fear about, um, you know, letting your support system really see you. Um, then mm-hmm. to what you're left with is like not a lot of access to stuff. So, um, I mean, I didn't have any sort of like language for this identity stuff either, but then like coming to think about the things like access to a legal name change or um, to uh, affirming hormones, um, both of which are like so meaningful mm-hmm. to my life now, not even things I thought about uh, when I lived in St. Louis. It wasn't until I moved to Chicago where that became like financially accessible uh, that I even would have given it a second thought. Um, and then there's also like a lot of different uh, variability in gatekeeping too, in terms of like folks letting you access those things as well, um, depending on where you live and sort of the ethos of the space. So a lot of folks would have to go through just like years of therapy and have to prove their identity. And like, I don't really have one. So A, that wasn't going to work in the first place. Like I'm not going to yeah. pretend like I'm a transgender man. That's not, that has nothing to do with me. And like for my own personal stuff, like none of it ever felt that pressing. Like I definitely didn't feel at home in my body, but it was very much a, like, I like my body enough. I like who I am. It's, it's far more like how other people treat me and how the world sees me that feels like weird and off. Um, but I didn't really have like big experiences of dysphoria in the way that a lot of folks do, um, where any of it felt super pressing. I was very much like, I can keep my head down. I'll be fine. It's whatever. Um, yeah, so it wasn't until that I was like in a space where um, accessibility was just available uh, that I had space to even consider like, is this a thing that could be good for me though, um, or that could be meaningful? I would mm-hmm. not have even thought to consider it prior. Yeah, yeah, and that's so real for so many folks. Yeah, and and you didn't you changed your name when you were in graduate school. You went to Chicago school in Illinois. Yeah. And also just because you said it was like easier and cheaper to do it in Illinois versus Missouri. Like it wasn't even like an option in Missouri. Like I know that there are, but like here we have the trans justice law project. They walk you through it, you know, just mm-hmm. like, so the, the ease and the support is it's like night and day. 
Yeah. And, and that just aligns with, you know, a lot of the data that Plume talks about too, is like a lot of, you know, more supports are available in like larger, you know, metropolitan areas. So of course, Chicago is like way bigger, you know, than St. Louis, or you have like, for me, like San Francisco, obviously where I live part of the time, like, you know, New York, LA, you know, Miami. Um, and again, just that how your quality of life, your ability to to live an authentic life is likely largely going to be governed um, by your ability to the, the laws in your state, um, by your support system or lack of, of support system. And, and that kind of leads me to the, the next piece is, you know, because I listen, you know, like we're friends on like Facebook and stuff and you always have like really eloquent posts, but are frequently kind of talk about just like an exhaustion. Um, and I, yeah. I appreciate your candor in, in that. Can you just kind of describe like, why is it so exhausting to live your life? It's, uh, you know, where to even begin? <laughs> You're like, shit girl, it's uh, Friday it's, uh, night. Like, let me go try to unpack this. Oh my goodness. Uh, so like, and, and I consented and am giving you my active consent to like even be talking about this, but like even questions like this mm -hmm. are exhausting, right? Like it's such a, I think mm -hmm. like it baffles me that folks don't interact with this, that this isn't just like everybody's lived experience because being exhausted feels so normed. And I think I've really given mm -hmm. up hope that I could exist in a space where I'm not going to be exhausted. Like, wow, that's a beautiful dream that I think I want to pick yeah. back up is like, can I envision a life where I'm not exhausted. Right now I can't, I would really love to get to that place. Um, yeah, it's just, it's like every day interacting with uh, folks that are presumptuous about, you know, all sorts of things about you, um, using language that's wrong for you, um, you know, having to experience like people using the wrong name for you. Like I'm very lucky that I've been able to legally change my name. That's significantly reduced my exhaustion and I still feel tired all the time. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's constant. And then even like with folks that really care and are well-meaning and, uh, you know, want to learn and want to expand uh, what they're doing, there's just like such a long learning history of, of it being a different way. And so it's a lot of interacting with, you know, being folks practice opportunity for their growth. Um, and I, I so value anyone and everyone that's like trying to grow in the direction of their values. That's beautiful. And also it's super draining um, to, you know, just like hold that for folks. So I guess my follow-up question, what would be like a perfect non-exhausting day like what would either what would either be present in the environment or absent in the environment that would make it like the best day ever oh my goodness like uh, i mean this in no disparaging way but like my best days are the days that are when i'm only surrounded by other trans people and non-binary people and agender people um there's a really gorgeous like trans beach day here in Chicago and everybody goes out to the lake and mm. everybody is like there and comfortable in their bodies and there it's it's like enough of a, a cohort that there aren't too many cis people around it feels like um and it's it's just like a lot of space it's people checking in about like what you want to be called and people giving uh compliments that are tender and genuine but like not gendered and also it's like mostly just like a really lot like a lot of like really normal tender, lovely interaction um, without, you know, uh, having to like hold other people's expectations or their education or 
or any of those things. Um, yeah, it's really nice when it feels easy. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's gotta be, you know, it's, it's very hard, um, to experience that day to day. Um, or it's like a total isolation is another space that like can feel restorative. Um, yeah. You're like, cause then I can control everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, I don't want to have to sequester myself from the world to, to yeah. find restoration. Like it's really lovely to be able to have that with other people too. What are specific actions that, that anyone can take in order to educate themselves um, about the trans and, and non-binary community? Like, hey, if you like had your wish and like, hi, everyone in the world and especially America and especially middle America, but like all the folks in on the left and the right <laughs> and all in the middle, what would, you know, if you had like your three wishes <laughs> of what people could do to make everyone's life easier and to create more harmony and space for everyone, what would those actions be? Yeah, I mean, so like, I think, first of all, like truly proactively read up on your own. There's so much education out there. There's a ton of resources um, and they're findable and they're accessible. And um, if you want to be extra nerdy and build yourself some uh, fluency practice around that, you know, do it. But I think like even just like proactively reading, finding out what you can find. Um, about folks' identities is a great space, just so you're not having to ask them directly to provide your core education, because um, that's so tiring to, to be doing that constantly. Um, I, I would say if you are asking that directly of people to, to make sure you're compensating them if you can, when you can, in some way. Um, and that doesn't need to look financial necessarily, but at the very least, make it look like behavior change, uh, you know, an active implementation of, uh, you know, stuff that folks tell you, um, especially if somebody's telling you that your behavior is harmful, um, you know, really listening and then working to shift it on your own, you know, that would make a huge difference. Um, I think trying to get rid of gendered assumptions and expectations uh, for everyone, um, trying to really let go of um, making assumptions about who people are based on the way that they look like. Um, goes a long, long way. Uh, figuring out how to shift some of your language around that um, is huge. And I don't know, I'm trying to find a good third one for you. There's there's so many things. Uh, I think also being really mindful of the fact that like everybody's experiences are really variable. Um, other intersecting identities that folks hold are going to change their impact or the impact of their experiences with gender, the way that they're treated by the world, um, the probability of violence that they may or may not incur. Um, and so I think just being really mindful of the fact that like, as you do continue to educate yourself, try and step away from expectations, um, uh, also knowing that uh, it, it is going to be hard. You're never going to know anything and you're definitely not going to know somebody's lived experience um, just because you're interacting with them. And perhaps, you know, like a little bit about some of the language that they used to describe themselves. Um, so I think really just um, being willing to hear people, uh, to really listen to them um, and to you know, let their truth be their truth and to really like hold space for that, honor that and try and be good to people in the ways that they identify are going to be meaningful for them. That's a pretty good list. We'll take it. So I want people to understand that you have a, a, a business uh, that you work at, at Upswing Advocates with a colleague, August Stockwell. And so when I reached out to you, 
I wasn't like, oh, hey, Warner, can you like spend a lot of time with me and just do it because you're nice? I was like, I'm going to pay you because this is your area of expertise. It is not my area of expertise. So you better send me an invoice. And you were so nice. You're like, we charge on a sliding scale. I'm like, I'm paying full price. Okay. I'm paying full price. Um, <laughs> because I believe that, you know, if you want support from experts, then you pay for that support because that's something I want people to do for me. I get hit up all the time for stuff. And I'm just like, yo, <laughs> like I'm tired. And it's not that I don't love you, but like if I'm like spending time and effort doing this, that means I'm not, you know, doing something else that I could be compensated for to help me live my best life. And so like you pay for what you value. Um, so can you kind of talk about what made you decide to get involved in, in upswing advocates and kind of what's the primary mission of the work that you and August are doing? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, so I met August when I was in grad school. Um, they were my instructor and thesis advisor at the time. Um, and I got to run a really lovely, tender, queer speed dating study. We were looking at a uh, generation of interpersonal closeness and behaviors around uh, how folks become close to one another, develop feelings of closeness. Um, and they were just starting this nonprofit, Upswing Advocates, uh, and invited me to come uh, be a part of it because we're deeply values aligned. And, you know, the crux of the work is research and education uh, that centers around, um, you know, being rooted in science, um, but then also in uh, LGBTQIA affirmation. And um, yeah, I think we just officially turned five years old as the nonprofit. Uh, earlier this month, which is wild to think about. Uh, and I feel really grateful to be there. It's really tender work to be able to do. And I love and appreciate your value of, um, you know, compensating fairly folks for, for the work that they're providing and also like a core value of ours is accessibility. So I think, I think it's always a double-edged thing where it's like, please understand uh, what you have to give. And if you do have it to give, you know, be valuing people. And also we very much want to exist in a paradigm where uh, folks that, um, you know, have any sort of need for education or resources, um, at least it can be pointed in the right direction, um, sort of regardless of, of capacity for, for financial compensation or whatever. Um, yeah, so we've always been more of a nonprofit model than a, a business business model. Um, but yeah, this is, this is the part of the work that we do. And because you guys are a nonprofit, if and because I'm going to link your website to the show notes along with a bunch of other resources, if someone was interested in in making a dom donation, because again, it's like one of those like people I think sometimes assume like, oh, you're a non for profit, that means that money doesn't matter. No, it still matters. You need money to run anything. So whether just because you're not non for profit doesn't mean you can't have any that you don't care. Um, but I appreciate the fact that like for values, you're like we don't want to say no to people, but that does mean there needs to be a balance of both paying clients and then sure. clients that may not be able to pay either at the top of the scale or or at all is because but because you have a nonprofit status does that mean that people if they choose to be able to donate to support your work that they can do that yeah we've been so lucky i think like that's been the main reason that we've been able to do what we do and like truly so many of our hours are still like volunteer hours on top of that um but we've been really lucky to have folks believe in and care about uh, this accessibility and uh, donate to the work that we've been doing um and i know that we're gonna be having some bigger conversations this year about uh, shifting our structure and deciding where we want this to look like moving forward um but that's been something we've been so lucky to have uh, yeah for these past five years now i know five years holy shit 
And also, side note, you're coming off of a very successful conference called Sex Abba. And I was like so stoked about this because this is like when I had the Scoop podcast with Feta, we had a colleague of ours, Shane Spiker, on. And we were like, oh my gosh, we need to have like just like a sex conference. And Shane's like, oh yeah, I got to talk to like Warner and Barb and like all of my fave people. And then you reach out to me and you're like, do you think I could do this? Do you think like anyone will come? Like maybe we can get a hundred people. And I was like, Warner, (laughs) if you build it, they will come. And they came. (laughs) Yeah. My mind was blown. My mind was blown. I truly uh, did not expect. uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just, I care about dissemination. And so I'm like, the degree to which we can make any sort of dissemination happen, that's where I want to be. Can you tell us how many people came to Sex Abba? Because you, again, like your, your, your bar, you would identified success as 100 people, maybe 150 if you were lucky. Oh, goodness. So I'll have to go back and look at the numbers. Um, but it was several hundred people. Um, uh, and I still haven't gotten a chance to like fully look through all of that. So I don't even know. But like in between the pre-conference workshop and day of, it was, yeah, yeah, multiple, multiple hundreds. I think we, it was like something like 700 ticket sales. I know, but then I feel weird saying that number because I'm like, maybe some people got workshop tickets and got also confident. I don't know. Anyway, regardless, uh, yeah, my mind was super blown. Um, yeah, have a lot of gratitude for you for pushing for this to even happen in the first place. Um because I've done like, you know, tender, small stuff with folks that want to, but like definitely have never uh, attempted to organize anything quite so large. So that was uh, really lovely to see that it seems like it was pretty meaningful for folks. Uh, Yeah. And the feedback that I heard was that it was like completely awesome, which again, did not surprise me. I was like, I knew it would be great. Um, And so I'm just excited to see like what your second act's going to be for next year's Sex Abba. Uh, Because I'm just, I'm just so excited. This you're onto something here, um, and it's meaningful work, uh, and you know people are interested, and it's an area of expertise that requires so much to use one of your terms, tenderness, and expertise, like really expertise. Because if you do not have expertise in this, you know, kind of huge subject matter, it can be very dangerous for for, for people. Um, so it's just, it's just so important, and I'm just really excited about it. I'm really excited about it too. Thanks for listening to Defy. We really appreciate your support. And we hope that you listen to all of the different podcasts that we've put together. And guess what? We're available on all of the podcast platforms and on social media too. And we even have a website. Like seriously, we have all of that stuff. You can find us at www.defy.community. You can find us on Instagram at defy.comm, on Facebook using the same defy.comm, or you can even send me an email if you just want to chat about something or if you have an idea of a podcast that you think would be really great for our community. Our email is contact at defy.community. We hope that you have found something that you can take away from this podcast that will impact your life. We hope that you continue to defy society's expectations of you. Because remember, baby, well-behaved women rarely make history.